Thank you, Serena, and thank you for not dying. That would have been embarrassing. My name is Hauran, if we haven't met yet, and I'm one of the, one of the leaders of church, and it's my privilege to be able to um, share God's word with you this morning. I just need to, uh, a quick PSA, I've, I got a cold last week, and I have this lingering cough that hangs around, and every now and again, I may have a coughing fit, and I may t- need to turn away and cough loudly. Uh, so apologies if that comes up in the middle, but that informs what I'm about to pray. Um, so before we get into God's word, uh, how about I pray? I'll pray for me, pray for you guys, and pray for all of us as we encounter God and God's word, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are you're kind and loving God. We want to thank you that at Christmas we can remember that Jesus has come into the world, and that On any given Sunday, we can pause and reflect on what Jesus has been doing in the world, what he's doing for us now. Father, we want to pray that as we approach your word, you'd help us to give it the attention that it deserves, that it is to recognise it and receive it as you speaking to us. And Father, we, we know we all live busy lives. There are a million and one distractions. There are a lot of important things going on in our lives outside these walls. But Father, for now, for the next half an hour, would you help us to concentrate on your word? Would you help us to be able to trust you with the things that are too big for us that we're stressing about and put them to one side? Would you help us to find peace for the next 30 minutes and help us to reflect on what it is that you are doing? Father, I want to pray for all of us um, that you'd help us to be alert to what you're saying to us today. And Father, I pray for me that you help me to be able to keep speaking clearly uh, and not to, to be able to breathe well and not to have any coughing fits. Uh, and Father, we pray that you will bless our time in your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, do you know who Ferenc Puskas is? you know who Ferenc Puskas is? That's okay, neither did a collection of young boys who came to a soccer academy in Australia in the 1970s. They didn't come to see him, they came to see George Best and Sir Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law, who were, at that time, some of the most famous soccer players in the world, football players in the world. They were young, they were slim, they were good-looking, they were athletic. With them was a larger, older gentleman. He didn't fly in from the UK, he lived down the road in Melbourne. He spoke with a funny accent. And we're not overstating the fact that he was a little bit larger. The boys saw a coach that looked like this. Um, Here is him maybe a decade or two earlier while he was still playing football. Simply put, these boys didn't take him seriously, and you might not either, uh, because even at his best, he did not look like a professional athlete like a professional soccer player. Now, George Best, also an excellent soccer player, he tells this story. He says, I was there with Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law and Puskas, and we were coaching in a football academy in Australia. The youngsters we were coaching, they did not respect him, including making fun of his weight and his age. So we decided to let the guys challenge one of the coaches to hit the crossbar ten times in a row. Obviously, they picked the old fat one. Law asked the kids how many they thought the old fat coach would would get out of ten. And most of them said less than five. I said ten. 
the old fat coach stepped up and he hit nine in a row. For the tenth shot, he skipped the ball up in the air, bounced it off his shoulders, then his head, flicked it up with his heel, and then off the volley, canned it straight into the crossbar. And they all stood in stunned silence. And then one kid asked, who is he? And George Best says, to you, his name is Mr. Puskas. Let me save you the trouble of Googling him. Ferenc Puskas was a Hungarian footballer and manager widely regarded as one of the greatest players of all time and the sport's first international superstar. He's regarded as one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the game of the football. He scored 84 goals in 85 international matches for Hungary. He scored 616 out of 620 games for Budapest, Honved and Real Madrid. Sorry if you can't read that, it's a bit small. Um, but if you're, if you're, you only need to do a little bit of math to figure out that he's scoring about one goal every game, right? And to put that in perspective, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, the greatest footballers of our generation, during their best season, they average one goal a game. Over their career, they're out, Ronaldo averages 0.72, Messi averages 0.78, uh, Puskas is basically close to one goal every game. That is how much better he is. Uh, during an invincible six-year spe six spell from 1950 to 1956, Puskas captained Hungary to a remarkable sequence of results, losing only one match in those entire six years. In fact, he's so big, he's so famous, that FIFA named an award after him. Right? So most of, the, most of the awards have like a boring name, like the Golden Boot or the Golden Glove. They named a Puskas Award, uh, which is given the best goal, the most aesthetically pleasing goal of the year, internationally, anywhere in the world. Uh, it's, this is a good time on YouTube for 10 minutes. It's a good 10 minutes well spent on YouTube just watching the best goals of the year. Like no matter whether you like soccer or not, they're just am amazing feats of athleticism. Right, so here's the thing. Bobby Charlton was good. George Best was good. Ferenc Puskas, standing there with him, was even better. But the boys at his coaching academy, they didn't recognise his greatness. Have you ever failed to recognise greatness? Our passage today, as we look at John chapter 1, and I should probably open this up, that's probably important. Um, our passage today is about failing to recognise greatness. And it's worse than just the embarrassment of an awkward situation. It's more significant than, oh, I met this famous person, uh, and it's a funny anecdote that I, that I tell my grandchildren because I failed to recognise him. Right? So what happens when we fail to recognise Jesus' greatness? And conversely, what happens when we do recognise his greatness? That's what we're looking at today. We've only got a few verses in John, but we're going to use them to springboard around the rest of the Gospel of John. Uh, it'll help you have these verses open, uh, but I'll chuck them up on screen for you to refer to if you need them. Um, without further ado, let's get into it. There are only a couple of verses, so let me reread them. Uh, verse 10, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. It's worth thinking, I think, a little bit about what this word recognise actually means. On the one hand, it can be a trivial thing, right? Like, I frequently fail to recognise actors. I don't know if you've had this experience, but when Sarah and I watch TV, she's constantly making fun of me because I have no idea if it's the Doctor Who guy or the James Bond guy or the murderer from that other show guy that, or none of the above, right? Um, 
on one hand, failure to recognise somebody can be a trivial thing. But on the other hand, recognition can be a good deal more significant. Right? Think about brand recognition. When you go to the supermarket, when you walk down the aisles, which, which brands do you buy? Well, generally speaking, you buy brands that you know and you trust. Right? If you're going to go buy a toothbrush, a new toothbrush or toothpaste, you're going to buy you know, probably Oral-B or Colgate. Right? Because those are the trusted brands. Those are the brands you go through and trust. If you went to the aisles and you saw my new line of toothpaste, super shiny toothpastes, incorporated, B2ILTD, um, are you going to buy them? You're not going to buy them. There's some random toothpaste on the shelf. You're not going to buy them. You're going to go with a brand that you know. You're going to go with a brand that you trust. Right? Same thing whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying a lawnmower. You're going to buy, go with a brand that you trust. Either that or we're going to go with the cheapest possible option if you're Asian, like me. But generally speaking, right, if you don't recognise the brand, if you don't know my logo, you don't trust my, pro- my product, right? And when that comes to my dodgy line of dental care, that's entirely valid. Right, but when it comes to Jesus, people didn't recognise him. They didn't know him, and that means they didn't trust him. And the problem here is Jesus should have come with brand recognition. Right? They have the Old Testament. And the Old Testament shows them, the Old Testament shows them that, and shows us, that God has always been faithful and kind. Our God has always been mighty to save. And we have the Old Testament, right? And it promises that a king's going to come and he's going to rescue his people. The Old Testament promises there's going to be a suffering servant. And he's going to heal people through his suffering. And we know, if you remember last week, this king, he's got a witness. He's got John the Baptist pointing at him going, he is the light of the world. So people should have recognised Jesus. But the sad truth is people didn't recognise him and they didn't receive him. And we see this from the very beginning, don't we? If, we? if you remember the Christmas story, Jesus is born, there's a star in the sky, these wise men come and they say, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And Herod... Does Herod go and worship the king of the Jews? No, he doesn't. What he, instead, he would rather murder all the children in Judea than acknowledge that Jesus is the king. And Jesus' family had to run to Egypt. They had to be refugees in a foreign land. And this pattern of rejection, this happens all through Jesus' life. If you flick over a couple of um, chapters from John, right? John chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who was invalid for 38 years. Verse 15, this man went away, told the Jewish authorities it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Sorry, I'll put a blank slide up. Um, In chapter 6, just after he feeds the 5,000, verse 53, he's having this discourse and he says, Jesus says to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and unless you drink his blood, you have no life in you. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from that time on, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. And Jesus turns to the twelve. He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And for a moment you can hear a very human, a very dejected, rejected tone from Jesus. John chapter 7, opposition is growing. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, but he didn't want to go into Judea because the Jewish leaders, verse 22, they were looking for a way to kill him. 7 chapter, verse 5, even his own brothers, they did not believe in him. 
John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? They're wrong on both counts. He wasn't a Samaritan. He wasn't demon-possessed. John chapter 11, one of them, the Sanhedrin, one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he spoke up. And he said, you know nothing at all, and you do not realize that it's better for one man to die for the people than the whole nation to perish. And so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And there's a lot more, but we know where this ends up, right? Pontius Pilate says, should I release Jesus or Barabbas? And Pontius Pilate honestly thinks they're going to pick Jesus. Uh, But the crowd yells, Barabbas. So Pontius Pilate has to release Barabbas, and he says, what do I do with Jesus? And what does the crowd, what do the people say? They say, crucify him. The people should have known, the people should have recognised The people should have received Jesus. They should have known him and they should have trusted him. But Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. There will always be people who do not recognise Jesus, and they don't recognise his greatness. And we we know this is true even today, don't we? Right? Right now, this season, it's the Christmas season. And the holiday Christmas, the word Christmas, still has Christ very firmly in the title, right? It is Christ's Mass. It is a celebration of Christ. It's right there in the branding, the celebration of Christ. And yet, by and large, people don't think about Jesus at Christmas. But if you go through the shops, if you look at people's Christmas lights, there is the odd nativity scene. But by and large, what are you more likely to see? You're likely to see reindeer, Santa Claus, snowmen, elves, candy canes, presents. You don't see Jesus, do you? For a lot of people, we don't open advent calendars anymore. Instead, we have elf on the shelf. And it's as if people are bored of the Lord. They don't see the boss dying on the cross. And Jesus is no longer the reason for the season. But if you're a Christian, Christmas is our holiday. Christmas is our season, right? If you're doing Elf on the Shelf, that's fine, but your non-Christian friends will be talking about Elf on the Shelf too. Only Christians are going to be talking about Christ this season. So when you see those sparkly lights, you remind them there was a sparkly star and that said the king is coming, the king has come. And when you see angels in the Christmas decorations, you ask them, why are there angels? Hark, they sing. Glory to the newborn king. The angels are there to tell you that Jesus is here. And when your friends sing jingle bells, you sing joy to the world because the Lord is come. Now, all of this begs the question, right? Who is Jesus? What has he done to deserve this recognition? There is a lot to say, but let me touch on a few ideas that we've seen in John. Right? In verse 1, we see Jesus is the word. He is the spoken word, the creating word. God says, verbally, let there be light, and there was light. And when God speaks, things come into being. Right? Like Jean talked about last uh, two weeks ago, he's logic, he is reason, he's wisdom from the beginning of time. So when Jesus speaks, it's always worth listening to. Jesus is the word. In verse 10, Jesus is the one who owns the world. Right? All things are created by him, for him. 
What does that mean? It means he designed the day and the night. He's measured to the millimetre, to the micrometre, the depths of the ocean, the heights of the stratosphere. He's weighed every grain of sand, every hair on every head. He knows how much hair your cat or your dog sheds. He's counted every star, visible and invisible. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the one who owns the world. Jesus is the light. That's what John says. He's the light. He shines light into darkness. He speaks truth and overcomes falsehood. He's the one who rescues the weak. He's the one who heals the sick. He is the one who liberates the oppressed. He's the one who brings salvation into the world. Jesus is the light and Jesus is the life because in him all things hold together. He is the sustainer and the giver of life. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He is the one who gives us new life. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. And that's why hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Jesus is joy. Joy to the world. And it's worth pointing out that some people did receive Jesus, right? John the baptizer, John the witness, he says, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And he says, I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Andrew said to Peter, here he is. We found the Messiah, the Christ. So when Peter met Jesus, he fell on his knees and says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man, Lord. Nathaniel, astounded by Jesus, said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. The Samaritan woman came and she was perplexed by him and she said, could this be the Messiah? But ultimately her whole village says, we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Mark chapter 8, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And in John he says, where else could we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? And after the disciples met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus, they looked at each other and they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? There's a very real way in which all of us, no matter who we are, should recognise Jesus. There's a real way in which all of us, in all of our hearts, our hearts should be burning when we encounter Jesus. Right? Every fibre of our being, every drop of blood, Every cell, every atom, it recognises the creator God who has matchless power, who has an effable wisdom. Every fibre of our being, even before our head, even before our hearts are ready to acknowledge him, they call out to the creator of the universe. So when the creator comes, the creation, and that's us, the creation should answer. When the Lord of the universe approaches, every citizen of the universe, and once again that's us, should fall on our knees As the song says, let every heart prepare him room. This offspring of a virgin womb. So joy to the Lord. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Because we should receive our king. Because Jesus is the king and he's come. He's the word. He's the light. He's life. So what happens for those of us who do recognise Jesus? Let's go back to John 1. Here's the verse. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to all believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of, not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. In some sense, Christmas is all about adoption and unnatural births. If you think about it, Christmas is all about Joseph adopting a child. 
right? It's not his child. He could have washed his hands of... But instead he marries Jesus. Uh, sorry, that didn't work. Joseph, Joseph marries Mary. And her son becomes part of his family, right? Jesus is known as the carpenter's son. Christmas is about adoption. It's about miraculous births. And what these verses make clear is that Christmas is about more than Jesus' adoption and Jesus' miraculous birth. I mean, it certainly is about that, but it's about more than that. Because Christmas is also about our adoption. It's about our miraculous birth, our miraculous rebirth. Christmas is about our adoption, our natural miraculous birth. To those who recognise Jesus, to those who receive Jesus, to those who trust him, who know him, who receive him, well, those people are called children of God. Truly, miraculously, unnaturally, but miraculously, in full, not in part. You belong to Jesus. You're a child of God. If you call him Lord, you too are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. For various reasons, we don't see a lot of adoptions in Australia. So I think we often forget about how powerful, how amazing adoption can be. So let me tell you about uh, my friends, my friends, the Goodriches. Um, They are American. Uh, They're not just Americans. They're Texans. They're Texan and they're proud of it. They've got the cowboy hats. They've got the cowboy boots. They've got the cowboy belt buckles. They supported the Dallas Cowboys for generations, the, the gridiron team. They are also... A lovely Christian family. Uh, They served overseas as missionaries in South Asia and they were based out of Sydney for a couple of years, which is how uh, we met them. This is the full family. And you'll also notice, if you pay attention, there's one little girl who looks a little bit out of place. She was born in China. Uh, She was born with a congenital heart condition and so with the ghost of the one-child policy and everything else, all the other cultural things, her parents abandoned her. They placed her in an orphanage. Uh, she was rejected, she was unloved. She wasn't wanted. And then my friends, the Goodriches, chose to adopt her. And they went through significant hardship to do so. They had to go through a mountain of paperwork. Um, They had to go through rigorous phone calls via America to China. Um, In fact, when they flew from Sydney to China to get her, because of some complexity with their American visas, they weren't allowed back into the country, so they had to then suddenly go to the US and leave a whole bunch of stuff behind. But for them, it was 100% worth it. 100% for them, 100% for her, especially for her. right? Because you can see that she's 100% part of the family. She too has a Dallas Cowboy shirt. She too has a cowboy hat and cowboy boots. She's part of that family. She is loved. She's accepted. She's appreciated. She's every part a member of their family and she's given a right to become the child of the good riches. Yet to all who received his name, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And in some sense, being an adopted child, it's even better than being a natural born child. A natural-born child, well, you get what you get. And sometimes it's even accidental, it's unplanned. But an adoption is never unplanned. An adopted child, the parents are always going, you know what, we want to adopt this child. It is an intention and it is a choice. 
And as an adopted child, well, they can see what you look like. They can see how you behave. And they still want to choose you. And they're making an intentional choice to going, you're going to be part of our family. We are going to love you. We're going to give you a chance to be part of a special family that wants you, that wants you to be a part of it. And friends, that's us. That's all of us, right? As Christians, we are all miraculous children of God. He is our true father. And we need to remember that these holidays. Right? Praying to our father in heaven, that's not a figure of speech. He's our father in real life. When you have good family moments these holidays with your earthly family, you remember that all this and more is yours and God's. This is what God is offering, that beautiful family where people love each other and care for one another. When you have difficult moments with your earthly family, remember that you have a heavenly father where you truly belong. When you're lonely this Christmas, turn to God your father for comfort. And to Jesus, your brother, your true friend. When you're tired this Christmas, turn to God, your father, who will help you out as fathers do. When you're at a loss this Christmas, pray to God, your father, who provides all that we need and abundantly more. This sermon has a theme song. We're not going to sing it, but you know these lyrics, right? It goes like this, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. One last thing. The song tells us joy to the world and it tells us to rejoice, but sometimes joy can be hard, right? Emotions can be difficult. You're not always going to feel joyful, even though you know that you should. You know that you should. Your brain chemistry may make it hard or even impossible. Uh, I've, you know, I, I too have had struggles with depression um, and mental health. I've been seeing counselling for a year, and even then, I still don't know what I should be thinking or feeling half the time. Emotions can be hard. Rejoicing can be hard, especially when you feel sad or when you feel nothing at all. But it's important to know. As Christians, right, joy is about more than just your emotion. It's more than just about how you feel. Joy is also an action. Joy is also a choice. Right, later on we're about to sing. And when we stand and you will choose to sing or not to sing, I encourage you to sing. Sing with joy. Rejoice. Sing of our great God and King. And remember, when your emotions are hard, when things are difficult, and they will be because life is not always easy, Remember the, the truth that Jesus is here, that your heavenly Father is your Father and he's here for you. Right? You've received him as Lord and so God has given you this right, this unalienable right that you are a beloved child of God. So here's something I want you to do. Sometime today, tomorrow, take five minutes. Carve out some time in the morning, in the evening, before you go to bed. In the middle of the day, just lock yourself in the bathroom so the children don't bother you. Um, just stop and reflect. Right? Reread these verses and then turn your phone notifications off so you can actually think about them. And reflect on the joy of being a child of God. Reflect on the joy of adoption and unconditional acceptance and unending love. Right? Because you are loved by the creator who knows you literally inside out. You're supported by the one who sustains you each and every day.
You're accepted by the one who forgives you every day, no matter how guilty and ashamed you feel. The truth is he loves you. And we can practice that now. We're going to sing in Christ alone. We're going to reflect on all that Christ has done for us, all that is ours as children of God. Take joy from the truths we've talked about today that we're going to be singing about shortly. Hang on to this truth in your heart. Pursue joy this Christmas. Let me pray and then we're going to sing. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that we can be your children. We know there's a lot of people in the world who do not recognise you and do not receive you, but Lord God, we want to recognise you. We want to receive you. We want to know you as the King and as our Saviour, as the one who loves us and who has done immeasurably more for us, more than we can ask or imagine. Thank you for the, that we can call you Father. Thank you for all that Jesus has done for us and thank you that we can receive your unconditional love. Would you bless us and sustain us as we head into the Christmas season? Would you help us knowing your love to love our families better? Would you help us knowing your love to get through the difficult moments and to keep trusting in you each and every day? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.